Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Atlanta. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Peeps. Peeps! 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 Oh my gosh. I love our next guest. She's all about the peeps. She's the peep master. Jesse Sheehan. Peeps. <laughs> <laughs> I could go all day. That could just be the podcast saying peeps in many, many peeps. different ways. Yeah. Peeps. <laughs> so fun. Okay. Before, before we get into the peep master. <laughs> no. Before we get to Jesse. Peep master. <laughs> Before we talk to Jesse, we've got to talk about how is your week going? It's going really well. How's your week? Excellent. What are you baking? Uh, okay, so I just had a tart, actually. A, well, not an entire tart, but a slice of a tart for breakfast that I made uh, to kind of like test out and play with. So Valrona sent me some... Uh, little baking fevs that are passion fruit flavored. They sent some almonds, almond ones too, but I haven't played with those just yet. Uh, but the passion fruit, it's the same little shape as the chocolates you buy. I'm sure you've bought them many times, right, Jeremiah? So you know what I'm yeah. talking about here. Um, but they're passion fruit flavored. It's something new that they're doing. And I looked on the bag. It's kind of like um, cocoa butter to solidify freeze-dried passion fruit powder. So the flavor is really intense. If you've ever worked with freeze dried berries or something, it's like super, super strong, which is nice because instead of having to reduce a puree or a juice, the flavor is already packed in there for you. Um, this isn't meant to be a commercial. I'm just kind of excited. Anyway, I used it <laughs> to make a passion fruit white chocolate ganache and then put that into a tart case that I made. Um, that was a espresso crust which is really fun to do. Um, I really, really want to start going on an espresso crust like spree because my mind started going with all sorts of things that could be good with that. Anyway, I put the ganache in there and then topped it with some Italian meringue that was coconut flavored. And then I had some caramel sauce left for my cake and I dolloped that all over. Anyway, so I'm just basically telling you about my breakfast, uh, which was phenomenal. <laughs> Breakfast of champions. Can you tell us how to do a espresso crust? Well, it was really easy. So, so many um, pastry crust, pie crust, tart crust, blah, 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 has water or some sort of liquid element, even egg. And if it's egg, it's a little harder. I think you pretty much would need to use espresso powder. But if not, if it has water and the crust I use does, you could just sub in espresso, like an actual shot of espresso, because why not add flavor that way? And and that's what I did. I made some espresso, but it wasn't quite as strong as I wanted just because you don't want, you know this, Jeremiah, you don't want to add more and more liquid to a pie crust or a tart crust because it'll get gummy and the texture becomes affected. So the liquid that's right for the crust, you need to work within those bounds. So if your espresso is strong enough, great. If you feel like it should be stronger, I just added powder to the espresso. So I just had ultra potent espresso water basically. And that was the liquid I used in the crust. I, th I think that 
the water is such an untapped place in crust because you could really flavor it in a multitude of ways. That is brilliant. I never would have thought to sub out the liquid water for espresso. Easy breezy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So tell me, what have you been baking? Well, this is the week. I'm so excited. I'm going to have my very first pop-up at a restaurant in San Francisco. So I have to take some time and tell you all the details. So it's going to be, it's called Uma Pasteleria, which is a Portuguese pastry pop-up at Uma Casa Restaurant in San Francisco. And Chef Antelmo Faria is hosting me. And I could not be so, I couldn't be more thankful to him for giving me this opportunity to do something so close to my heart. So it's going to be Sunday, April 29th in Noe Valley, the most adorable neighborhood in San Francisco. And it's just going to be Sunday morning, 1030. I believe it starts and it'll be open until we sell out. And I'm going to be making some of my favorite, favorite Portuguese pastry shop staples. Of course, there's going to be pastéis de nata, which are the, the famous custard tarts. There's going to be bolish de Berlin, which are fried donuts that are filled with cream. Jesuitish, which is something I learned to make in Porto, in the north of Portugal. It's a puff pastry that's filled with cream and then topped with a meringue. And they're shaped in what I've been told are the, um, the shape of Jesuit hats. Um, bolo de Roche, which are rice cakes. And they're really, really nostalgic for Portuguese people. Um, They generally ate these when they were kids. And they're just a beautiful butter cake, but made with some white rice flour. So they have this great texture. They almost reminds me of cornbread a little bit, the texture. Um, This really nice buttery flavor. Then tarts de amendua, which are caramelized almond tarts. Patas de viado, which are these cute little rolled cakes that look like deer hooves. I know it sounds a little creepy, but they're adorable. And they're flavored with lemon and coconut and a bit of cinnamon. Bolo de balasha, which is a cookie cake. And it's also an icebox cake, which totally makes me think of our guest, Jesse. And so it's layers of um, Maria cookies, which are just a beautiful, crisp, simple cookie that you dip in coffee. And then layer with a coffee, coffee buttercream. And I know that sounds like, whoa, an icebox cake's made with buttercream, but I'm making these adorable little single serving size. Um, and it's not, not too rich. It's just right. And I'm decorating them with some Valrona pearls. Valrona is the, the name of the day. <laughs> and um, some individual servings of Pão in the style of Ovar. So these are like little Portuguese pudding cakes that'll be in their own little paper wrappers. And I'm going to do a a lemon flavored one and a chocolate flavored one. And then the, if I have time, because most of these desserts use tons of egg yolks because it's Portuguese, I'm going to make some of these beautiful uh, meringue flans. Um, But only if I have time and I'd love to put some seasonal fruit on top, which isn't traditional, but I think we're in the midst of spring. We're in San Francisco. We got to throw on some beautiful local fruit. Um, So that's, what's going to be happening. Telmo is going to serve coffees, Portuguese style coffees and passion fruit mimosas, oh. which are my favorite. <laughs> yeah. And I think some toastamistas, which are some, some sandwiches, some toasted sandwiches. This sounds amazing. Oh my gosh. Oh. I'm dying. I'm so excited. So excited and practicing like mad. It's, I feel like 
my, you know, being on the show, doing the the events that I've done have really kind of set me up to be able to do this. I know things are going to be challenging and stressful, but I've, I'm just really excited to to give this a go and um, share with everyone Portuguese pastry shop. You are one hell of an ambitious dude, man. That's a lot of variety. And I think it's awesome. I think there's going to be something for everybody and you're going to smash it. Oh my God. Thank you. And what I learned when I was in Portugal visiting these pastry shops is that the key to this stuff is doing big batches of things. So like I'm going to have a ton of puff pastry and that puff pastry makes up the base of two of the desserts. Um, I'm going to make big batches of this sponge cake batter and that's going to make up the base for the rolled cakes and also for the pudding cakes. And then the creams, like make a big batch of pastry cream and a big batch of these egg yolk creams. And that will be used in the other desserts. So it's one way that you can get a lot of variety out of one or two recipes. And that's what I noticed these pastry shops do. And that way I'm not making all these different, all these different recipes, all the recipes kind of share something. Does that make sense? Totally. I think that's a really smart way to approach it because if you made each component for each individual thing, I mean, you would have to get started like today right now, but this makes it sound exactly. a little bit more approachable, still ambitious, but a little more yeah. approachable. Very smart. I'm very excited. And I hope all of you, if you're in the San Francisco area on Sunday, April 29th, be there people. Yeah. So if you're anywhere around, it's worth the plane, car, train trip to get there. I'm super jealous of anybody who gets to eat these delicious bites. <laughs> well, let's get to Jesse Sheehan. She is so much fun. If you don't follow her on social media, you need to. She is the most amazing, adorable, hilarious personality. And... um yeah, she's got a new book coming out. What else is she up to, Amanda? She's completely dynamic, I feel like. Um, she used to be an actress. She jokes that she's a lawyer on maternity leave. I think her kids are just now entering teenage age, but she's on <laughs> quote-unquote uh, maternity leave. And, of course, an incredible baker who has one cookbook out and another one popping out very soon. Well, I can't wait to talk to her. Let's get jesse welcome to flower hour thank you jeremiah i'm so excited to be here and amanda hi jesse so great to meet you (laughs) great to meet you too and i love it that we have one of those like amazing 21st century friendships which literally began on instagram that's so true yeah we're instagram friends first and now uh podcast friends next so we get kind of we're going to start in like a different way because i've gotten a lot of questions recently about how we do these recordings so i thought it'd be good to say jeremiah does not fly to atlanta every week nor do i fly to california every week but i wish i could and then jesse where are you so I'm in um, I'm in Red Hook in Brooklyn, where I live, and I am sitting in my little office. And I think this technology is amazing that we're all in these completely different places, um, and yet we're all chatting. And I I did want to mention, which is kind of funny, is Jeremiah had had mentioned in an email that I needed to wear like headphones while we were doing this, and I kind of panicked because like the ones for my iPhone fall out of my ears. And I was like, what am I going to do? So my 13 year old heard me worrying 
laughing about this and said, Mom, just wear my gaming headphones. And sure <laughs> enough, I put them on. They could not be more comfy. They're built for 13-year-olds, so they I have a pinhead, so they fit my pinhead. <laughs> and I have this like amazing little microphone that 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 I'm excited by. So I just want to give a visual to our listeners. That's what's happening here. I look like a, like a, a mom pretending to be a gamer. I love it. I love it. We need some like game sound uh, sounds in here. Like the other other funny thing is he kept saying, the only thing he said is mom, they're not going to see you. Are you, are they? Because he was so worried that you would like not be happy about me in gaming headphones. But I said, no, they're not going to see me. It's going to be perfect. Well, we see you all the time on your Instagram stories and we love how your personality comes through. So that would not be a problem. (laughs) I you know, it's funny. I find, I don't know about you guys. I find those now I kind of feel liberated by them, but I have to say at first I found that really hard to like put yourself out. It's like one thing to take a picture of, you know, some whoopie pies that you made, but I did find that whole part of this, you know, shall we say social media game tricky to like be comfortable, like, Hey, here I am, you know, doing a selfie, even though I'm like a mom, Do you know what I mean? Yes. That's so funny. You just, of course, we usually start talking about, you know, where did baking begin for you, but you totally hit on one of the questions I wanted to ask you is I love how your personality comes through so keenly on Instagram and social media and your approach is so much fun. And we talk a lot about finding your voice and dealing with the game of social media. So can you actually talk more about that, how you came to feel more confident? Yeah, I would I would love to, because I'm like kind of weirdly obsessed with it. Um, so, you know, when it's when I won't lie, I was not like one of those Facebook people like prior to wanting I, I basically started with both Instagram and Facebook when I wrote my first book, the uh it's a the Icebox Cakes cookbook. Um and that came out in 2015. So I was like super late to the social media game at that point. But I kind of jumped on board for that book. It was what everyone told me you kind of needed to do. And you know how it is. You kind of get sucked in. So once you start feeling like, oh I gotta do this, pretty soon you're like, oh this is fun. So I, I kind of got into the at least the Instagram aspect of it. Um, but I was very reluctant to ever put any personal pictures of me or my family or my dog onto Instagram. I just, I guess I just wasn't sure how to handle that in the right way. And I wanted to be respectful of people's privacy, but I also just was kind of a little like, I think sheepish, you know? I mean, sometimes you see the people's stories and I don't know, I can I won't lie, I can be a little judgy. So I would see people's stories and be like, Oh gosh, I'm not I'm not putting on a bikini and lying <laughs> around I'm a mom. (laughs) So I was trying to figure out like what was going to be, you know, I I couldn't quite figure out how I was going to present myself with the story function. I want to know who was baking a cake in a bikini. Was it you, Jeremiah? (laughs) Well, that's so funny because I saw the topless baker and I was like, oh, I need to do that too. (laughs) And so I have this whole series of photos of me holding a cake with just an apron on. And I was like, am I going to release these? No. <laughs> Maybe so. 
Um, but the, 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 when it actually happened, when I first, when I actually started doing the stories, which was not that long ago, it was only a couple of months, but it's, it's kind of not a very sexy story, but I went to the IACP conference here in New York and I went to one of the little workshops on Instagram stories, literally like, okay, teach me. I'm, I, I need tips. And, and, you know, the women who ran the little workshop were really knowledgeable because they were 20. Um, and they just, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but they were young and they just explained how easy they are to do and how kind of liberating they can be because I'm sure you guys are the same. Like we labor over the pictures for Instagram and I want everyone to be really beautiful. And I want my comment to be like a little bit snarky or a little bit cute or a little bit this, or, and it takes a lot of time. And what was nice about stories they explained is that they're, they're, you can be a little more free. Do you know what I mean? You don't, if you have a picture of something you made, but maybe you took it, you know, at night when you didn't have natural light, you can still post it and not feel like, oh my God, you know, this isn't good enough. Um, So I just found what these women explained to me and uh, really resonated for me, A, and then B, how easy it was to do. And, you know, as I'm sure you guys know, obviously, um, everybody wants to see your face. You know, it's 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 more than just like, oh, my God, she knows how to make whoopie pies. That's really cool. They want to be like, well, who is she? Um, and although I had a little bit of and still have like some issues with that. I, I get it. And, and it's fun. And then when I started doing them and I just, <laughs> I tried to be fun. I mean, I wasn't even trying to be funny. That's just like, whatever. I was just saying it, say, telling it like it was. And then people responded to them and I was like, Oh, maybe I'm onto something. Um, does that kind of explain it? Absolutely. Okay, That's a great explanation. I, I mean, your personality comes through, I would say, as well as any stories I've ever seen. So whatever you're oh. doing, you are nailing it. And it's so oh appealing. God. So, so appealing. Well, that makes me feel really good because, you know, that's the other thing that's kind of do you, I don't know, guys, do we need, do you have to have like some little narcissistic part of yourself? I don't know, but there's something so peculiar to me about sitting there taking a movie of me and then posting it. It just like, it seems crazy. I, I have to be in the mood for it. Like I really, and sometimes I'll be in the, the zone, but I'm like not in a place like I'm in my car or something. And then the mood passes and I'm like, well, that's, I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> I completely agree. I completely agree. I also think you know, maybe we're all like professionally speaking, you're kind of looking for your angle, right? And your thing. And, um, you know, obviously, my thing is is baking and kind of baking old school desserts and things that are kind of fun and friendly and familiar and comforting. You know, you're not going to see me making anything like super fancy and French or this or that. Um, But And that's all well and good. But I think what you realize is it's kind of you have to kind of build on that. So that's what I do. But like, also, this is who I am. And rather than like, try to hide the fact that I'm like the mom of teenagers, like embrace the fact you're the mom of teenagers. Do you know what I mean? I think, I think for anyone out there sort of thinking about like, branding themselves, which I know is kind of grotesque to talk about, but it's for real, right? It's like, it's to kind of, you know, this is, I am not the first person to say this, but you kind of embrace what you have, right? You work with what you've got and like make that what's special about you. Because I think we all get and tell me if I'm just talking too much. <laughs> not at all. Never, you're <laughs> okay, good. Okay, good. Um, but what I was going to say is that like we all are bringing something different to the table, right? And so there are people out there that are definitely making 
definitely more beautiful desserts than me because that is not my specialty. Maybe even in some ways, some things tastier than mine. Like everybody's different, right? But what's specific to me is like who I am. And so I've kind of feel like maybe that's how you sell what you got going on, right? It's, yeah, I make really yummy desserts, but a lot of people do. But I'm also like this weird mom, like wearing gaming headphones and sitting in my office. Like, totally. I went to um, the School of Hustle last year. It was this thing put on by Headley and Bennett. And the thing I heard over and over there was to tell your story because you are literally the only person who can tell it. And I feel like you're saying that in just a really cool way. And it's, I think that's probably what makes it so attractive because it doesn't seem like you're trying to mimic some other person or put yourself in some weird box, which even if we don't exactly know what's happening when people do that, I've done that. It just doesn't feel right. So yeah, yeah that, that kind of speaking your own truth thing is uh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like <laughs> I agree. And it sounds kind of cliched, but it's like, it's, that's legit, right? That like really, and, and also just to your point, Amanda, it makes you feel good about doing it. Cause you're just like, this is me, you know? So, so, so this is legit. This isn't me trying to copy someone and I won't lie. And again, this might be a little TMI and I don't know if this is a female thing, maybe not, but like I have struggled at times like with a little bit of like almost like a fraud complex like oh my god I don't belong look at all these amazing people doing all this amazing stuff like who do I think I am and I think that just being who you are kind of helps deal with that do you know do you guys know what I'm talking about oh yeah I can completely relate to that Amanda yeah I think that's a great point to kind of that way it takes away that like maybe I'm being fraudulent. It's like, no, I'm being me. So that's as authentic yeah. as it gets, people. Although I will say I do wish I could copycat you and start my stories with peeps. <laughs> peeps. I'm obsessed. Oh <laughs> I want to be a peep. I feel like that's your fan club. Those are, these are your peeps. We're your peeps. I was thinking the only way I could authentically do that is maybe when I'm like promoting this episode of Flower Hour, I can say peeps and it'll be genuine because I'm talking about you. So I'm totally going to do it. <laughs> How did that come about? How did you decide that to use peeps? That was so funny because again, like that's what I mean about, you know, SHIT happens and you can cut that out, Jeremiah. I know I have, Never. I have a potty mouth, um, but, but I said it without meaning to, I think in one of the first, like, I mean, I meant to, but I mean, without any thought about it in one of the first stories I did. And when my, when he was then 12, now he's 13, but when he, when Jack saw that, he was just like, mom, you can't say peeps. Kids, people do not like peeps. So then I wrote in the story, like, you know, I was talking, but then I made like a little comment, like my kids are going to kill me. They don't want me to use peeps. I'm really sorry. And it, and people went crazy. They were like, oh my God, I love peeps. Don't stop the peeps. So it was, it was essentially Jack trying to shut, shut me down. That got me going. <laughs> I saw this story. And so she says, I don't know if you did Jeremiah, but, and anybody listening, like she says peeps. And then you see in the bottom that her son told her not to say it. And so you're like, Oh, okay. And then the literal, like the next slide, she's like, so peeps. <laughs> I, I was laughing out loud. Like it's the funniest thing. So peeps. For oh life. God. Oh you God. need t-shirts though. T-shirts. with those right. peeps. I got to get, I got to capitalize on peeps in some way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I could talk about these things forever, but we, 
we are kind of obligated to get to baking. So let's uh, shift gears to baking and start kind of with the question we always want to know is when did you first fall in love with baking? When did it become a big part of your life? Sure. So I, again, feel like this is slightly unusual, but I'm going to embrace it. I am not one of those people who grew up like, you know, you know, crawling over to the table in the kitchen and grabbing my mother's apron strings and pulling myself up and grabbing the whisk and going to town. Um, I was someone who always loved sweets. I have like an amazing sweet tooth, but that sweet tooth was satisfied with devil dogs, double stuffed Oreos, Petrus farm, raspberry turnovers, not with anything that was being made at home from scratch. Um, and I actually was an actress for a while, then I was a lawyer for a while, and then after I'd had my second child, so about 12 years ago, um, I was I had actually gone on maternity leave <laughs> from my law job like three years before when my first son was born and had never gone back. So I like to joke that I'm, I'm still on maternity leave from a law firm. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, I, I was going... I, I love my kids, obviously, and I loved being home with them, but I was going a little bit kooky and kind of, or cookie, and needed a little bit of, um, I needed to be doing something. So I, 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 I live in Red Hook in Brooklyn, and there's a bakery here called Baked. Um, and I went into the bakery and basically said, I will, you know, work for work for you guys. Um, and, you know, you, you don't have to pay me very much. I just want to learn what you do. And I think they thought I was crazy because like who walks in and says you don't have to pay me very much and 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 is a mom and you know it was a I, I, I'm sure I like I, I looked I, I did probably didn't look the part exactly um, or I looked the mom part I didn't look the hip baker in Brooklyn part um, and then I wrote a note and I think I again tried to express how excited I was and I probably used too many exclamation points and they were just like no way this lady no 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 but eventually I came in I think a third time and I actually got to meet the head baker who was at the bakery at that time and they hired me and I did things like bagging granola and like making loaf cakes and and you know super easy cutting marshmallows super easy peasy stuff but I was like in heaven, like I would sit and stand in the decorating section and the windows, you know, look out on the bakery and there were, they were in the windows of the decorating section were all these gorgeous glass containers of sprinkles and different cake decorating things. And I just looked at that and I was like, oh my God, like this is where I want to be. It was like this weird, like Eureka moment. Um, and I was so happy to have found this thing that I love doing. And then you know, I worked there for about nine months in that capacity. And then Matt and Otto, the guys who own the bakeries, um, started writing cookbooks. And they wanted like a home baker to be to test their recipes. So it was kind of perfect. So I was learning things at the bakery um, about baking. But I was also at home testing their recipes for them. So and testing their recipes led to developing their recipes and just working on all of their cookbooks with them, which was an unbelievable learning experience, both as a baker and food and pastry person, but also as a writer and a recipe tester and developer. And, you know, that ended up for me being the thing that I loved the most. I ended up not working. I mean, I worked at the bakery for a few years, but I, but I stopped doing that and sort of began focusing more on writing and developing recipes and sort of having more of a freelance career, as it were, um, helping other people write their cookbooks, having the opportunity to write my own. 
Um, but it's just, it's, it's always funny to me because, you know, I wasn't doing it. Like, I can't tell you the story of like in eighth grade when I made my best friend her birthday cake, cause it never happened. Um, I just, it wasn't, it was, it's funny to, I don't know why exactly. Like I didn't just say like, Oh, I like eating this stuff so much. Let me try making it. But that didn't hit me until much later in life. That is such an important story for people to hear. Like that's so inspiring. Well, I hope so. Cause I do think people get really, we all do. I mean, just stuck in, Oh my God, I can't change. Or I already committed to this. I can't do something else. Or this is a thing I love, but I, you know, what if I suck at it? Or who do I think I am back to the whole fraud thing? But yeah, I do feel like my story is a good one for, for, for peeps who are thinking about, um, changing it up, doing something different, following their, you know, their dream as it were. So I really liked that you mentioned the, um, the fraud thing sometimes about starting something later in life. I identify with that too. Um, because I'm also the same, like I did bake some with my mom growing up, but a lot of my baking really didn't start until in a really similar way as when I was at home with my kids and kind of like my brain was still as active as it had ever been. (laughs) And I needed something new to kind of take on and, and try. But then in the same way, sometimes, you know, here I am several years in and you feel a little strange, not saying, Oh, I've been loving this my whole life, but it is what it is. You come to things at different times and, um, I think that anxiety is probably just because we love it so much. Probably that's what I'll tell myself. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you too, speaking of anxiety is I think when you put out a recipe for someone to make, there's a lot of stress about, you know, is this well-written? I think it's well-written. I hope it's been properly tested. So I was kind of curious to learn more about your testing process, testing recipes and uh, what that whole process looks like. And then, um, I'm really curious. What's the most you've ever had to test a recipe? Oh, sure. I this is like a, a, a yeah a topic that I am kind of always thinking about. And just to like share a very um, like a, a, a story of literally yesterday, I had to make. <laughs> I had to make um, 150 brownies for this um, for the for gluten-free brownies for this event that I was donating food to. And I used my recipe from my blog and I made them on Tuesday and they, I, I think I tasted like the edge of one seemed okay. I was like, okay, wrapped them up. Yesterday morning they were about to be picked up. I opened up the brownies or not open them up, but pulled the plastic off, was going to start slicing them up, tasted one and they were guys literally inedible. I mean, I, and I was so, (laughs) I mean, I was upset for two reasons. One, because like, that's a bummer. And two, um, because I, I, it's my recipe. Like I couldn't blame it on anyone. So I went to my um, computer (laughs) and like looked over the recipe and then looked over. I had also developed a recipe on my site for a non-gluten free uh, brownie, regular brownie, and sort of saw that what I must have done when I transcribed the gluten-free recipe is I doubled the, I used potato starch instead of all-purpose flour. I had doubled the amount of potato starch. Oh. But when I was making it on Tuesday, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't even, sometimes I do this. This is not like, you know, the most professional thing you're ever going to hear, but like, I'm not, sometimes I'm not smart about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like making the recipe and like, I could have said to myself, just a minute. 
that's way too much flour. What am I doing? But instead I'm like, it says to do this. I will follow the recipe. I like turn into a robot like person. But anyway, um, so long story short, I had put in way too much potato starch. And I had about like one second where I was like, you know what? I'm probably a much more harsh critic than anyone who's going to this event. I think I'll just send the brownies anyway. And then I was like, no, 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 no. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta try to make them as uh, the way they were meant to be made. So anyway, that's an example of a recipe that was not tested very much. I probably tested it once because I think for my blog, it's a little bit different definitely than a book. So for my blog, I probably made those once, maybe twice, and then maybe I drafted the recipe and put it up on my site. And so that's maybe when the mistake happened, as it were. Um, so I would say, in you know, which is complicated, right? Because if you have people reading your blog, it should be as important, and it is as important as any book you write. You want the recipes to really work. Um, but that's an example of, I don't know if you would call that a typo. I don't know. I don't know the best way to describe that, but it's definitely something that A, wasn't tested a million times, particularly after it was posted, as it were, um, after it went live. And, um, and you know, that... Or maybe I didn't proofread it well enough that day. I mean, the funny thing is, I feel like the lawyer in me, the the former lawyer that the lawyer on maternity leave in me, um, is just really uh, is is kind of meticulous, right? Or I like to think I am, um, and so I really pay attention to like not screwing up measurements and making. I feel like my directions being clear, I'm pretty good at because. I really care about that when I read someone else's recipes um, and I kind of get confused easily. I mean, not exactly, but I sometimes it takes me a few times to read something and I'm just like, huh? So I try to really, um, sometimes I can be a little too verbose because I really want to make sure the person understands. Um, I have a friend who, who mentioned this about with, with testing recipes. Like an example of that is, you know, you don't want to give your reader one way of recognizing that the cake is it's time to bake the cake or it's time to pull the cake from the oven. You actually want to give them three. So does it bounce back when you, you know, touch the center of the cake with your finger and does a toothpick come out, you know, with one moist crumb and does, you know, stuff like that. I love, that's the kind of recipe I love to read because I find it, I like to be guided that way. Um, and I'm like, do this professionally. So, so the fact that I want that makes me think, Probably a lot of people want that. Um, and that's the way I hope that I write my recipes in a way that really makes sense for people. And I will say I found that tricky with, with book writing because I really do want to write a lot. I don't look, I'm a funny, I'm funny this way. I don't love a lot of ingredients. I won't lie. I'm just like not lazy. I don't want to say lazy, but, um, but I like recipes that work, but, but maybe when I, I guess what I'm trying to say is when I see like long, 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 long lists of things, um, I, I get turned off. So when I try write a recipe, I try not, I, you know, I don't do that. That's just not where I, what, what I like to bake and what I like to make for other people to bake. Doesn't mean I don't love people that write recipes like that and love their books and their yummy treats. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, my point is that when I was writing for, uh, when I'm writing for an editor for a book, you know, they're constantly cutting your recipes so that they fit onto the page. There's always a page constrainer, at least in my experience. Um, and I found that hard. I, I found it difficult to part with like that extra line of instruction that I felt like made something really clear to someone. 
And sorry, I lost my train of thought a second ago. But the reason that I went on that tangent about a long list of ingredients and how I don't love that, I do kind of like lots of instructions. Um, I don't not they're not instructions like and now pick up the spoon, put it in your left hand. But I, I like to make sure that the reader really gets what I'm talking about. And I feel like recipes are more foolproof when that happens. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's really, really helpful. And one thing I wanted to know, too, because this has happened to Amanda and I, is a recipe that works for us. And then we put it out in the public. And sometimes people, it doesn't work for them at all. And it can be, and they're messaging you, asking you to help troubleshoot. And it can be incredibly stressful. And, um, you know, you want what you put out there to to work for people. And when they don't, and you can't figure out if it's their fault or is it your fault somehow. And I mean, have you had that experience? Yeah, and how do you like OMG? Yes, it's awful. And you just you feel you feel so sorry and like confused. And then like, you're kind of mad. And you're like, what do you do? And then you're like, is it really me? Is it that it's so tricky? Right. And I see that I feel like everyone struggles with this. Um, I I will take this moment now to talk about the cookies. And by that, I mean, Alison Roman's cookies, um, which are a viral recipe that I'm sure the vast majority of your listeners know about. But I know that for, you know, I've seen her kind of trying to respond to the masses um, uh, uh, that that comment on the cookies and have this issue or that issue. And I feel for her. She, you know, it's, 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 it, it, it's, it's tough to, you know, like in life, it's, it's, there isn't, there isn't one formula that's going to work for every person, right? So we hope that the vast majority of people can figure out what we're asking of them and, and, and what they need to do. But yeah, you, you feel awful when that happens. I mean, I have to say, rarely is it what happened to me yesterday, where like, I literally, screwed up the ingredient amount. Um, and it's it's much more likely that somebody just didn't quite understand what you meant when you said fold gently or, you know, um, uh, don't, you know, turn the beater off before the, the, the butter and eggs um, or the butter and sugar gets super fluffy, you know, it just, or, or keep your mixer on for five minutes. I mean, that's counterintuitive. People are making like dessert or just like, what? or not people are making dessert, but you know what I mean? Not everyone knows that that actually does really lead to a fluffy cake. And when we say three to five minutes, we're actually serious. Do you know what I mean? I know for myself, I'm like three to five minutes. Who has time for that? So I get it. Yeah. Oh oh yeah. That's, oh gosh. It's so nice to be in this company (laughs) feeling like, there's other people yeah, going through the thing. same thing. When you yeah. know you're not alone, you, then it gives you a little confidence, or at least me. It helps me to hear that you guys, who I totally respect and respect your recipes, have experienced the same thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, because sometimes I even think, well, I'm just not even going to share it because, you know, maybe it's yeah. just not because I want to be stingy, but I just, I don't want people to waste their ingredients or something. But I think what you touched on about the way you like to write recipes and include lots of details is really interesting to me because I think sometimes another thing I struggle with is I'm like, do we really need another cookbook? But yes, we absolutely do because there's so many voices and so many different ways of telling things that I think... I know for me, there's certain authors that when I read their recipe, I just get it. It's easy. It's like we speak the same language. And for every person like that, there's probably somebody who looks at the same ones and they're like, what what do they mean by this? You know? And 
I think it's really cool that you have your own voice, even in a recipe, which is interesting to me. Yeah. Well, someone I really look up to and love is Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. And I think that she writes incredibly well. And she's very funny, too, which I love. And very easy to understand recipes. And I know from reading comments that on her site that people get confused by Deb. So I'm just like, I I think it's important for us all to realize. I mean, I totally hear you, Amanda, about not feeling stingy, but feeling like, do I even want to share this? I feel that way whenever I post something that I think is a little bit complicated. Like I did a yeasted monkey bread a couple months back. And it, it's scary to put that up there. It's it's not a hard recipe, but but yeast scares people. Um, it's hard to, you know, there are lots of different stages. It's a brioche dough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, it, it, there it lives. And you kind of wonder, like, I, I do have a friend who made it, so I do know the recipe works. But you know what? It might not work for everyone. Because as we're saying, people people are just different and, and, and they run into trouble and you don't always know why. But I, I will say, I, I won't lie. I feel like I'm. You guys are my therapist this morning. Um, I have. I am a little worried. You know, before my before a, a, like a book. I mean, I, I act like I've written a million books. This is my second, but it's a little scary before it comes out. I won't lie, because um, I'm worried about the recipes. I mean, I know they work. I know they were tested. They were tested by me. They were tested by other people. But there's that scary moment of just exactly what you guys are talking about. Oh, I love that you mentioned how it takes bravery to put out a cookbook and um, it it truly does. And I'm sure that anxiety right before it comes out is, is intense, but I'm also super confident that your book is going to be very, very loved just from the description. I cannot wait to start tearing into it. One of the descriptions I saw was that you have twisted and tweaked vintage recipes. And just that is so tantalizing to me. I want to know more about what's in the book. Um, And I'm going to lead you first, because what I really want to know about is the silver cake with pink frosting. Oh, but hold on. Have we even said the name of the book? We must. (laughs) Oh my God. We must. It's the vintage baker. Yes. So I have this book um, being published by Chronicle Books called The Vintage Baker, which is coming out on May 15th. Very exciting. And um, it has um, the the book is, well, let me backtrack for a sec. I started collecting vintage recipe booklets, which are booklets that were distributed with like a bag of flour or a box of sugar as like an advertising tool between maybe the late 19th century to maybe the 1950s. Um, and there are these absolutely sort of gorgeous antique little you know, paper pamphlets that like, if you got a domino sugar one, um, every recipe in there would call for domino sugar. Or if you got a, a swan's down cake flour one, every recipe would call for cake flour or a baking powder one, et cetera, et cetera. You guys get the picture. But in any case, around the time I started working at Baked, I um, started collecting these booklets and they really spoke to me because all of the recipes are exactly the kind of thing that I love to make, like big layer cakes with billowy frosting and big chunky cookies and and yummy creamy ice cream and, and muffins and biscuits. And you'll see I use the word big a lot to describe what I like because I know it's like I'm basically a 10-year-old, but I like my desserts big. But anyway, um, the um, so the book... What I ended up doing for this book is taking, um, twisting and tweaking about 
between 50 and 60 recipes from my booklets for the 21st century baker. So for instance, if I was making, I have a recipe for cherry slab pie in the book. And the original recipe calls for cherry pie filling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I kind of tweaked it and twisted it and made, I made an almond crust for it. And I used you know, fresh cherries, obviously made a fresh cherry filling. I used some kind of um, almond paste in the crumble on top just to, you know, really like um, pump up that, that almond cherry connection. So those were all the things that I twisted and tweaked, but what's super cool about the recipe. And this was from a McCall's um, magazine booklet from, um, from I think the sixties, this one's a little of a kind of, you know, more, um, less vintage. Um, what's kind of cool is, and the reason I picked the recipe is that it was for, it's for something called company pie, which is like the original slab pie, which are so hot and trendy right now. So what was kind of nice about the way that I picked recipes to tweak and twist is some were just like, Oh my God, I got to do pumpkin pie because everybody you know, all these booklets are filled with a pumpkin pie recipe and I want to be truthful to what was in the booklets. Although I made mine with a chocolate cookie crust and turned it into a tart. So those are the twists and tweaks for that. But I also picked recipes that like spoke to me like that. Like, what? Are you saying slab pie was around in the 1970s? You know, I love that. So it was sort of the weird marriage of the old and the new. Um, And then the third way that I, so some of the recipes I would pick just because they were always in my booklet. Some I would pick because they just have this cool, funny thing that reminded me of now, like slab pie or company pie. And then the third thing I would do is I would pick recipes, or I did pick recipes that had names that I just like went bananas for. For instance, like a fig Newton was called a fig pin cushion an almond cookie that has sort of um you place almonds on the top of it and kind of looks like a sand dollar were called sand tarts and then my absolute favorite is the silver cake with pink frosting which is basically a white cake you know no egg yolks um with with a pink buttercream but Back in the day, white cakes were called silver cakes or they were called moon cakes. They had all these like glorious names that I just adore. Um, and that cake, one, I, I don't think I mentioned this yet. The, the, what, what's great, what is exciting about the book is it is this combo of artwork from my booklets. So you, you can see the original pamphlets, but it's also these amazing kind of retro photographs by this amazing photographer, Alice Gao. And um, her picture of the silver cake with pink frosting is just like mind-blowingly amazing. It like looks um, uh, like a Wayne Thibault. I mean, it's just, I think, an exceptionally beautiful photograph. Um, so that's what's kind of fun about the book. It, it, it has the old recipes. Each headnote has um, a little history about how I changed the recipe, why I picked the recipe, um, how I kept it the same. Then there's pictures from my booklets. Um, then there are these amazing Alice Gao photos and the kind of like creme de la creme, which is all Chronicle and my editor. I mean, just a brilliant, brilliant addition to the book is there is a tiny booklet replica or replica of a vintage booklet stuck in the center of the of the cookbook. And it's just like delightful and so sweet and cute. And I wrote a little intro for that little booklet. And what's kind of cool, this is a little bit like history and we'll bring a little history and law into it. Um, it was a little bit tough to get permission to use the artwork in the book because 
everything's copyrighted, except everything before 1922 is in the public domain. So what's super cool about this tiny little booklet is its original recipes. Um, what I did is I picked you know pre 1923 recipes that are um, that were all. Um, early recipes of recipes that are in my book. So it's kind of cool to look in the little booklet and then find how I changed it, as it were. Um, so that, I think, makes the book kind of super special, like both, I hope, a baking book that people will bake from, but also kind of a cool design book and a cool gift book. And I joke that, like, I think I've written, like, a baking tome. Um, but, I, you know, peeps, I'm realistic, okay? What I like is... Yeah, there's great there are great recipes in there for people to to have fun with, but it's also like a really pretty cool book just to have and and look through. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to mention about the process of working on this book that was both amazing and a little intense was I had to actually work and again the lawyer in me I guess was put to good service the the maternity leave lawyer um, is that I had to uh, you know write and call all of the companies um, of all of the booklets that I wanted to use to try to track down copyright permission. And let me just tell you that that was not like the most fun thing I've ever done. What a task. Oh my gosh. That is a lot <laughs> of legwork to figure, figure out if you can use the picture or not use the picture. Way to go on that diligence. Yes. Yes. I can totally relate. I, I'm a musician and I worked for a uh, uh, a, a classical ensemble in, in New York City, and they were putting together a compilation of performances of an artist. And I had to—I was in it, their assistant, and I had to write every label and ask if we could ha use one of the tracks. And oh my gosh, people wouldn't get back to you, or the place was—you know—had gone out of business. It was it's such really, a—I yeah, I can relate. It's really intense. Right before my my manuscript was due, I had actually put a ton of these pre-1923, 22 recipes that I'm telling you guys about. I had put a lot of that artwork in the book, in the manuscript, because um, I, I just, I hadn't been able to reach all of the companies that I wanted to, to reach by the time the, 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 the manuscript was due. And like a week before it was due, um, Kraft, um, who I'm now in love with, um, uh, um, wrote me and said, you can use our recipes. I mean, you could not our recipes, sorry, because I didn't use anybody's recipes. Um, you could use the artwork. And that was just so amazing. And, and I think helps. And, and other people said yes as well. I don't want to make it seem like Kraft was the only one. But they do happen to own the copyright to a lot of, of really beautiful, beautiful booklets. And it was amazing. And I am so grateful um, to have had uh, the opportunity to, to put all of that beautiful art into the book. I literally freaked out when I saw in your stories that little <laughs> insert with the vintage. I mean, it's so gorgeous. And like you said, the pictures by Alice totally look like Tebow. Like I was, so he taught here close to where I live and I just was at one of his gallery or his uh, exhibition. So it's so like, I'm like, oh my God, I just saw all this. <laughs> so well done. Congratulations. I can't wait to get it, my hands on a I'm copy. such a fan of Alice's too. I'd love to get some behind the scenes, what that was like working with her. What was the process like? Her photos are just so inspiring. So I'd love to hear some about that. Yeah, she's incredible. The sad thing is that I was not there. There was a little bit of a of a miscommunication between me and my editor, and I didn't know the photo shoot was happening. 
So I am very sad to tell you that I wasn't there, but also so thrilled. Also, um, Chronicle, it, I guess this is unusual because when I tell people this, they're really surprised. Chronicle took care of hiring the, the photographer and the stylist. And I, I didn't have anything to do with it. And they ended up hiring this incredible dream team. Diana Yen, Jewels of New York, was my stylist. And Kira Corbin was the prop person. I mean, they just, they, they just did an incredible job on the book and I'm devastated that I wasn't there. And honestly, I don't think they want the author around all that much, but I, you know, at least to come in the first day, but, um, but I'm so grateful to Chronicle and to all these amazing artists that, that they, that the, the job they did was so spectacular. That is such an yes. interesting story. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's totally intriguing because I just always assumed that the author was there like cooking up the recipes in the kitchen and then, you know, maybe with a, working with a food stylist, but I didn't imagine that it would be someone else entirely. But wow, I mean, it came out totally. gorgeous. I saw the grid you posted on Instagram and every photo was just spectacular. Yeah, I mean, I, I I will say, like, huge caveat here, I think my experience is unusual. I think that depending on, well, first of all, depending on the press, because I think a lot of people in within their advance is money that they need to spend on the photographer and stylist, you know what I mean? Whereas that that's not part of my advance because I don't pay for it. Um, there's that. And I also think, just to be fair, you know, people who – you know, to bring up Alison Roman again, people with a name um, or Deb Perlman, um, people with people with big names obviously are going to have a lot more control over their book than someone like me. So I also wonder if that plays a role. Do you know what I mean? Um, all I can say is that although I was disappointed that I wasn't there, um, I'm. It, it just I don't think I could have asked for a for a better team and for a more beautiful book. So I I I don't even. Like, it's all good. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Definitely. Well, tell us some of your favorite recipes in the book that you're really excited for people. Yes. To, to well, make. definitely that silver cake. Um, I have a little, a cute little recipe card. I actually sent one to Amanda um, that has that, that Chronicle put together for me that sort of has a picture of that cake and then the recipe for it. So I'm super, super into that cake. Um, just like, again, it's old school guys. It's like, a, you know, I like a buttercream frosting with like butter and confectioner sugar. There's nothing, you're not, you, you, there, there's no, no Swiss, mer you know, it's, it's just, it is what it is. Um, and, and I love the accessibility of that. And I love like, it's like, you know, your, your, your birthday cake when you were five. Um, although not my birthday cake, cause every one of my cakes came from Baskin Robbins and was a chocolate mint chocolate chip ice, ice cream cake. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a Baskin Robbins, but that's what I had when I was little. Um, <laughs> oh, so yeah. um i'm just looking uh in my index because i don't know this is also funny <laughs> about writing a book i mean it's I, I don't i don't know if anyone else will think it's funny but me but like literally you forget like you'll see a recipe uh, this will happen to me with my blog i'll see a recipe i'll be like god what a great recipe i'm like oh my god that's me like you you literally like for i think because we end up <laughs> producing so much in this business you 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 forget what you've done um, so anyway, so for, oops, sorry, I just hit the microphone. Um, forgive me why I take a peek. Um, a cookie that I love for my cookie chapter is the butterscotch potato chip balls. And again, this was a super fun discovery when I was going through my booklets to decide what I wanted to include in my cookbook. 
that they were, you know, back in the day, I think I found this in a good housekeeping cookie booklet. Um, back in the day, they were putting funky ingredients, you know, a la Christina Tozzi into their cookies, like potato chips or pretzels and whatever. I'm like a full on sucker for anything like that. So I went with, they call them potato chip balls, even though they really look like cookies. But again, I'm using that old fashioned name. And then I put butterscotch chips in, which weirdly seems to, you know, butterscotch chips can be a teeny bit too sweet, but when you couple them with the really salty potato chips, they're kind of awesome. So that's another recipe that I love. I also love, um, I'm like a huge Reese's peanut butter cup fan. And although I didn't see any recipes for something like Buckeye-ish, which if I had seen, of course, would have been in my book because that's like my favorite thing in the world. Um, I did come across, um, there were lots of nut cookies that they would make in these long skinny shapes and call them fingers. So I have a recipe for peanut butter fingers with a um, milk chocolate uh, glaze, like a milk chocolate ganache on them. And that is like my ode um, to my favorite um candy. Um, and then in like my morning chapter, I love, um, a flake apart bread, um, or like a pull up, people call them pull apart breads. Um, it was a winner actually of the Pillsbury baking contest. I forget what year I could look in the head note, maybe in the forties sometime or the fifties, but one of the winners one year made these things that she called flake apart. I think she called them flake apart muffins even because she made them in a muffin tin, but it was, it was kind of discoveries like that guys where I was like, Oh my God, I love pull apart bread. And now I can put it in my cookbook (laughs) because it's related to this old fashioned recipe. So there was that kind of cool, like, like, That moment where you felt like this is really what I should be writing because like I am finding in these booklets exactly the things I want to make right now and I get to do so and have it be, you know, totally true to who I am and what I'm into. So I love um, flake apart bread, although I know it can be sometimes people are a little scared of yeast, but it, it calls for instant yeast, which I personally find super easy to work with because you don't have to worry about um you know, proofing it, putting it with some warm water and waiting till it makes sure it's alive, et cetera, et cetera. You just throw it in with all your dry ingredients. And at least for me, because I won't lie, I'm like a teeny bit yeast phobic. Um, it, it just, to me, it kind of takes like a little bit of that fear away when I work with that product. So I highly recommend that product. Um, uh, what else do I love? Um, in my pie chapter, I love the Mexican hot chocolate Bavarian pie. The Bavarian pies were kind of like cream pies made with gelatin. You know, again, I, in general, I probably wouldn't, you know, be like, oh, it's time to make a cream pie. Where's my gelatin? But again, I'm being kind of true to, to what went down back in the day. And I have other cream pies that don't call for gelatin that are more like cornstarch based cream pies, like a butterscotch one. But I love the spicy flavors combined with the chocolate. And I have this yummy kind of toasted meringue on top of this pie that also has yummy kind of spiciness to it. And then the crust is this, um, it's a, it's vanilla vanilla wafers, but I put a lot of cinnamon in with the wafers. So it's sort of, there's just like little touches of spice and heat and warmth in every layer of that, um, pie. Um, should I keep going? (laughs) (laughs) I think think basically now I just need to go and get something delicious to eat because you have made me super hungry. (laughs) Um, so I also don't want to forget about your first cookbook just because yeah. I feel like we're running into summer and it's about yeah. to get warm. It's icebox cake season. So your first book, it was called Icebox Cakes. Um, and yeah. so I'd love to get some tips just kind of uh, if for anybody who hasn't made one and just wants yeah. like 
you know, a quick tutorial from you, what are some things you think people should know? Sure, sure. So um, that's like one of my favorite kind of desserts to eat. I don't know why, like just the kind of the traditional, um, I think the one that most people know is that traditional chocolate um, icebox cake with, with, you know, vanilla whipped cream. And you would find the recipe for it on the back of Nabisco chocolate wafers, which come in like a little yellow sleeve. Um, and essentially an icebox cake is when you layer cookies or graham crackers or lady fingers, some kind of cakey component, as I like to say, with some kind of um, whipped cream or pudding. Uh, then you place that into the refrigerator rather than into the oven. And the cookies um, absorb the moisture from the um, from the whipped cream or the pudding and turn cake-like. So eight hours later or the next day, you've got this kind of amazing, soft, yet still with some texture from the cakey component, delicious dessert. And they're super fun to play with. Like you can do the super simple one with chocolate wafers and vanilla whipped cream, but you can do that in any shape you want, right? Like I think the the recipe on the back of the of the Nabisco wafer box has you do a kind of in a freeform log on a plate, but I make them in springform pans, which makes them real cool because they're like you know, like a layer cake, and then you slice it. Or I love making them in like eight by eight by two inch you know, baking pans, and then you kind of scoop it out with a big spoon. Or I make them in little ball jars, and everybody gets their own individual one. So. What, what's cool about icebox cakes, I think, is um, the ease with which you can put them together because often it can be store-bought ingredients. You can buy your own cookies. You can you could make pudding from a Jello box or, or make an easy pudding on the stovetop, um, whipped cream, super easy, or use Cool Whip. Like I like the idea that it's a dessert. Um, it's a, like a very egalitarian dessert. Like do it whatever way floats your boat. I will say in the book, what's what's special about the book, and I think also maybe can turn can make people a little anxious about it, and I hope they won't be, is that everything is from scratch. So in my book, I think it's about 25 different icebox cakes, different flavors. There's the lemon caramel icebox cakes. There's the um, s'mores icebox cake. There's the fluffernutter icebox cakes. There's the Elvis icebox cake with like peanut butter and chocolate and bacon. Um, but, um, but what's, what's, so the book is fun because everything's from scratch. You make your own lady fingers, you make your own chocolate cookies, peanut butter cookies, you make your own graham crackers, make your own pudding, but you can also substitute. That's what I think is cool. And that I hope people do like you want to make a s'mores cake, but you don't want to make chocolate pudding from scratch and you don't want to make, um, graham crackers from scratch, or maybe you don't even want to make, you know, there, there's ganache in that. Maybe you use chocolate sauce. Like, I guess what I'm saying is they're, they're, they're equal opportunity employers, those icebox cakes. They'll, they'll, you can, you can kind of make them work with anything. Um, and I sort of like that. I go back and forth between like being a very from scratch kind of gal, like, oh my God, I could never buy a pie crust that I, you know, I have to make my own to being like, please, can I have some cookies to layer in an icebox cake so I can have a dessert like by, you know, five o'clock tonight. <laughs> oh gosh. I, I know we can both relate to that. Yeah, it makes me think of when you were over Jeremiah and we made eat mess. Cause it's kind of the same kind of thing where you just grab random goodies and throw it in, crunch it up and, and you're good to go. I love those kind of desserts. And then in the same way, like you can buy the components or you can make jam if you want to. And that is my favorite kind of baking, just really approachable and fun. 
me too, me too. And I kind of wish the book was a little bit clearer about that. Like I wish, again, back to that thing about um, uh, space constraints when you're writing. Like I wish we could have really for every recipe said, buy these kind of graham crackers, buy this, buy to, just to really help people. Because I think books like that can be off-putting, especially because Icebox Cakes is, it, this topic is such that it's going to uh, uh, appeal, hopefully, to the masses, right? But then when you open it up, you're like, what? I'm not making my own cookies. Who are you kidding? This is supposed to be icebox. Do you know what I mean? So I just, uh, I wish that people could understand that like, please. I, and, and I get that. Cause I, I don't know about you guys. I'm one of, I'm a recipe follower peeps. I really am. I am not one of those people that's like, I don't like nutmeg. I'm using cardamom. I'm just not. I'm like, Oh my God, they said nutmeg. I have to, I'm going to the store right now. And for better, for worse, that works for me. Um, so I get it when people open my book and they're like, no, thanks. Um, but I would, I'm trying to like kind of channel that other part of me that I wish was more like free, like free, free, free swinging lady who was like, yeah, I'll do whatever I want. Uh, but honestly, peeps, that's not me. (laughs) No, I think I agree. I mean, it makes, and it kind of relates to the recipe testing process or people trying your recipes out is it people come to the kitchen with a whole psychology, right? Like you were speaking of yours. I'm going to follow everything exactly to the T and some people are willing to try different things. Some people, so it's, it's just interesting that everyone goes in differently and they make decisions based on their experiences. But I agree. You sh- everyone should be a little wild and have some fun. And especially in, in, a, in a book like the Icebox Cakes, which you can, you can substitute your own cookies, right? That, that's the book that is ripe for substitution. Totally, totally. And it's funny. I mean, again, like bringing our conversation full circle. I mean, back to that whole thing about just like embracing who you are. I'm not like really proud of the fact that I'm such a recipe follower. I know that can be kind of like, and by recipe follower, I'm put, sort of putting that in quotes because like that's sort of how I lead my life. I'm just like a rule follower. Like I, that's like how I just roll, right? And, you know, I wish I could be a little more like, I'm a crazy artist. Like, look at me go. It's just, it's it, it, I just got to be like, this is who I am and this is how I do it. Um, and, and, and I, you know, you can wish you were something else or push yourself to be something else. But you also at the end of the day are like, okay, this is just how it works. This is how I've gotten by this far this long and i'm i'll probably keep at it you know what i'm saying absolutely absolutely so we'd love to end our chats with this question if you could bake for anyone dead or alive oh gosh who and what who would um, it be and what would you make give me one second to give this a little thought this is a tough one i always worry that that you're going to ask me one day in Jeremiah and it changes. <laughs> like every time I think of it, like I'll be like, Ooh, that's a really good answer. Then I'll forget it. And I think of somebody else and I'm like, I have actual stress about this question. Do you know, I've never even thought about the question being asked to me. <laughs> <laughs> you better. Cause the days are coming. You know, I'll I ask think- you one day. You know, I think I might say Ina Garden because I really love her. I love the way she writes recipes. I'm sure I would love to eat all of the food that she would make me and because I know I love to cook from her books. I don't really bake from her books. I don't know about you guys. In general, I don't, I'm not baking other people's recipes so much. I'm kind of trying to work on my own. Um, but I would love to, to bake something for her. And I, I guess I would, I'm trying to think of what I would make her. Um, I might want to make her my silver cake with pink frosting because um, I'm kind of 
you know, I, I, I worry. Yeah, no, I think I would make her my silver cake with pink frosting. I'm not even going to tell you my worries. I'm just going to say Ina Garden, silver cake with pink frosting coming at you. I can just picture her face lighting up seeing that cake. Like that's the perfect cake for her. <laughs> I want to come because I love her and I love you. And this sounds like a great place to be. Yeah. Jeremiah, let's, I'm let's coming. make this happen. Definitely coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for spending this time with us. What a treat. How, how fun. Oh my gosh, Jeremiah and Amanda. I just love it. And I love you. And I wish you didn't live so far away so we could like go have a celebratory piece of cake or glass of wine after this. Oh, that sounds lovely. But Amanda and I are going to be in New York soon and we're, we're going to come track you down. I would love Yeah, we need to figure this out. <laughs> yes, I would love that. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that we got to chat today. I'm so happy too. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.